This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Be the best and you got to pay a little price. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me this week, my fabulous guest co-host, Stu Jackson of therams.com, a.k.a. Mr. Team Website. I say that somewhat sarcastically. Stu, how are we doing? Jordan, I'm doing great. After the uh, hectic nature of that was this week, um, feel a little bit more settled but of course i i say that and there was <laughs> another, another there was another <laughs> transaction already anyway on on friday morning you know like you know three days after the initial 53 man roster uh was announced so uh it's that time of the year but you know nonetheless very excited for week one to be on the horizon here and for the regular season to be upon us and uh We've got a lot to cover, which yeah. I think is good, not only for us and, and for the podcast, obviously, but also uh, anybody who might be listening as well. Yeah, it's it was such a hectic, busy week. Um, it was a dramatic week in so many ways. Um, and it, it was just, it, you know, cut downs are always dramatic. This one just seemed to be heightened a little bit. And we're going to start off with the news um, that I think sent Rams fans into, I think, an understandable panic. Um, Cooper Cup had a setback in his recovery from his hamstring injury. As you guys remember, Cooper was practicing the full week of those Denver joint practices. So he had his first practice back on Monday, I believe it was the 21st of August, and practiced fully throughout the course of that week, spoke with media, was looking really sharp. I mean, Stu and I were both in Denver and we actually talked about like how sharp he looked. And then, you know, at the end of, of this week, um, you know, we noticed that he wasn't practicing on Thursday. And so when you notice that someone's not practicing, um, sometimes it's a rest day and sometimes it's not. So I asked Sean McVay if there was something going on with him and, and, you know, I, I think he looked I Sean, we always joke, like doesn't have a poker face. And I think he looked pretty serious talking about it um, and confirmed that that Cooper had indeed suffered a setback. He called it a muscle strain. But then I asked if it was related to the hamstring. And he said, yes. So I think loosely we can quantify the overall injury as a, a hamstring strain. Um, he said that Cooper is weak. To, or excuse me. He said that Cooper is day to day. I think when you're talking about a soft tissue injury, which can be so fickle, um, I think it's more, maybe more fair. I, I get the optimism. It's that's fine. But like, um, I think it's fair to say that a hamstring in general is a week to week situation. Um, we're going to learn more about this in the coming days. Obviously the timing of this was not only, I think rightful for, you know, you feel for Cooper, first of all, cause he's worked so hard to come back, but also you feel for the, the Rams fans and, and the rest of the team, because this is so close to that season opener in Seattle next week that, um, it just, it just, there's no, it's just, it sucks all around, I think. And it's certainly something that we're going to learn more about in the coming days. Yeah. I also feel for Cooper too, just because I remember asking him after the second and final joint practice in Denver, like, what are the personal landmarks that, you know, you look for as when you're navigating something like this, as far as, you know, getting back out there and feeling like you're ready. And he just mentioned, you know, that you know, basically once he gets to the point of being able to turn the switch where he can go through it and you know, not basically not be hyper aware of if he's feeling anything in that spot. Like once you're in that space, that's when you really feel like you can kind of just let it rip was uh, was his exact words. And to now be dealing with this again, especially after what he went through last year, I, I can't be begin to imagine how frustrating that must be for him. And now because of that, um, you know, Sean said Friday, they're still obviously working through this and we'll probably can uh, continue to work through this as, like you said, Cooper's day to day. Uh, it's going to be a very it, it's depending on his availability for week one. It could it could potentially change things as far as the way they activate their receivers, which is what 
Sean alluded to in his press mm-hmm. conference the other day. Yeah, you know, Van Jefferson automatically go- goes into a huge role. You know, he looked outstanding in Denver, and I wrote this, and I know you wrote this too, Stu. It's like he had probably his be- best week of practice that I've seen um, in Denver, and and that was th- th- those those guys were all really feeling good. That's what that's why this also becomes really hard. Is like everyone collectively like you could really see the the identity that the offense was was thinking that it would take on like right out of the gate against the in those joint practices against the Denver Broncos and it was exciting like i believed it and i believe it now when you hear these coaches and people behind the scenes talk about how they think that people are underrating them at least on offense a, a little bit and you for a while you'd be like are you crazy bro like <laughs> you know look at this roster and then you would remember then you would actually see with your own eyes, like what this offense could potentially be capable of, especially with the healthy Matthew Stafford, especially with the healthy Cooper Cup and the emergence of Puka Nakua, um, the development of Tutu Atwell, Van Jefferson really finding more of his identity um, and, and really being super tough to, to defend clearly, um, as as we saw in, the, in those Broncos practices. And this is hard. I mean, the running backs have come along, the the different multiplicity. I've, I've written a lot about this, the multiplicity of like some of the run game that they're, that they're working on, like this, this was, there was, you felt the potential. And obviously when Les Snead refers to Matthew Stafford and Cooper cup, along with Aaron Donald as like weight bearing walls, it's not a secret that part of the reason the Rams believed they would actually be competitive this year is because of Matthew Stafford and Cooper cup. I mean, we cannot understate his, relevance to this offense and and nobody is but like i mean it it goes even deeper than fantasy football points and and touchdowns and and receiving yards and targets it's also like cooper's the guy who has all the option routes in this offense and cooper plays the f which means the entire offense runs through the receiving position that he plays much of the blocking structures in the run game run through the exact position that he plays out of that F and everything else on the field orbits around what he does, not just as a pass catcher, um, but also in the run game. And so I think that, you know, you cannot, um, you, you just, it, it, it is, it is a significant, we don't know how long he'll be out. Um, however long it is, that is significant. It's a significant loss and you can't, run the offense in the same way. Obviously, the coaching staff thinks really highly of those guys that we've mentioned, Stu, but it doesn't, it's not going to be the same because some of those jobs that Cooper Cup does now are being split into committees versus one person who can Im- seamlessly just go into that role. That's an important point you make too, because again, as much as you know, we saw in training camp, you know, them moving all the different, a lot of the receivers behind him around to be able to, you know, learn each of the different receiver positions in, in the offense. That is not an easy thing to replace understatement, obviously, again, based on how you just described Cup's role. And so it's going to, like you said, it'll probably be, it, it, depending on how long he's out, this is going to be uh, a committee approach that, you know, would probably takes a little bit of patience and it's going to require a lot from honestly each each receiver in in that room again depending on what his availability looks like because again it is he it just his football IQ everything he does the way he especially understands the F position the way he maneuvers in that spot and what it means to this offense you can't just replace him with one guy and no matter how many times you've repped each of those spots, no matter how, how many times you've even repped the uh, the F position, like that's not going to be easy. It's not easy for one person, no matter how no matter how, how many years you've played you've played in the league, or or even been in this offense. Um, yeah. It's- so I'm I'm really interested to see what that looks like again if it gets to that point because there's there's no quick fix, which is kind of what again McVay alluded to when he was talking about you know, having, you know, 72 hours plus to uh, figure it out. One thing that I think is interesting that we will certainly see emerge, like there is a small, like, 
there's not there's not a silver lining. I don't even know what the right words would be for it, but it's like they already did work a lot without him in the offense. So at least they're not just like sort of bucket of cold water approach to this. Like they already at least have have repped like guys have gotten a lot of reps because he was out through most of training camp. Um, so there's already been a lot of um, installations and different types of of passing concepts that have been deployed without him there. And then the other thing I would say too is is I almost wonder if there now becomes a little bit more a little bit of a shift. You know, this has been an eleven personnel team for so many years minus a couple of like emergency outliers where they've had to go like heavy 12. Um, I almost wonder if they go a little bit heavier with the tight ends. They've got four tight ends on this 53 man roster and all of them are mismatches in the passing game. I would say Bryson Hopkins is more of the blocking role, probably getting, getting fused into that, but like he can, he could still catch the ball. (laughs) Like, but, but Tyler Higby is absolutely a mismatch in, in the past game. Davis Allen, we still don't know a, a lot about Hunter long, but um, the Rams drafted him or excuse me, traded for him in part because he is expected to be a passing mismatch. So like, I think that that's something to definitely keep an eye on. You know, we don't see the entirety of practices at this point because training camp's over. So we're back to our sort of like 25, 20 minute regulations every day. So it's like a lot of stretching and like taking attendance, which is how we saw that Cooper wasn't out there. Um, but, but it was, or he was out there, but not in uniform. And so that those are things I think to keep an eye on, um, you know, Tutu Atwell played some of the F in training camp. Um, Puka Nakua played some of the F in training camp. It's not going to be the F the way that it looks like right now with Cooper in the offense, but in case of emergency break glass, there are sort of contingency plans that, that they've already repped. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it, it started out as a chaotic week in, in terms of cuts and, and like wondering how things were going to maneuver. And then there's still obviously, you know, whether or not it's roster maneuvering, we'll have to see, but certainly positional maneuvering is taking place and still a couple of other note news items um, to get to. It's obviously Brett Mayer is on the practice squad. Um, like it's funny. They don't have a rostered kicker right now. <laughs> I could see it more being a trial run for him though. Like he gets three game day elevations off practice squad and then, or maybe not doesn't need the whole three or has two or whatever, however it works, but using the game day elevations is a trial run for him so that you're not, um, there's like all kinds of little nitpicky, like salary implications that go with like being on the practice squad and elevated versus immediately being on the 53. Um, and then they put Oshan Mathis on injured reserve, which was expected. He's got the knee injury. He's out for a couple of weeks. Um, Rams are super thin at outside linebacker, but, um, you know, Byron Young, I think is, is going to emerge over the course of this year in that group. And then also, um, they signed Duke Shelley. And I liked this signing. I mean, I worry that it implies there's something that has not been disclosed yet injury-wise happening because um, he was an active roster signing, not a practice squad signing. Um, and so I, and he, you know, he is, I, I, I do wonder about that. So we'll find out next week when they're required to disclose an injury report for the first time. Um, but also, I, I like the signing Duke Shelley. I mean, Minnesota had such a bad year on defense last year under Ed Donatel, but like Duke Shelley had a great year, <laughs> you know, like he, he was, he was their best, like highest rated corner and one of the top rated graded corners in the league last year. Um, and you know, he's a scheme fit because I don't think those coverage structures worked well for Minnesota last year, but it's a similar foundation point. Some of that match zone and quarters and those types of things that the Rams do play. Um, and he is very, like he excels. I was reading some reports on him today. Like he excels in, in, um, stickier situations. He excels playing a little bit tighter, which I, as I wrote about this week, the Rams, um, are encouraging and, and activating their younger players to do again. That was also when they really were very optimistic about what the offense would look like. So everything is fluid with Cooper cup missing, um, so anyway, so um, but but I think he's a great fit. I think he's an outstanding fit for for what this is. The only thing I wonder about is kind of like the why of it, which we don't we just don't know yet. I think at a minimum, I like the fact that size wise, he's a prototypical nickel defensive back. Yeah, maybe he and, could play star. You know, right? Exactly. That was kind of the first thing that came to my mind just looking at it, looking at his size, which I think. If I remember correctly, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of, I want to say, 
5'9", and maybe 180, 185, 175, somewhere in that range. But basically, you know, what you've traditionally seen out of slot corners, you mm-hmm. know, nickel, nickel defensive backs, what have you. And so with the scheme familiarity that you mentioned, at the very least, you're getting somebody that I think could potentially be, you know, tertiary depth, perhaps at star. Good um, word, Stu. It, yeah, in words. Yeah, if, <laughs> if 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 that's too big of a word, I'll just say third string because again, Kobe Durant uh, is is expected to start there, and uh, Sean Jolly uh, has been also getting work there. When I would imagine would back him up, and so basically pegging him behind Jolly is is kind of what I'm getting at here, mm-hmm. and so and that's a position that. You know, you need someone with familiarity with that scheme in order for it to to be uh, to be effective and for it to be played well. And so. Depending depending on, you know, how that position looks, I mean, and of course, who knows? I mean, we all know, you know, again, Trey Tomlinson, you know, being a smaller corner, but he they put him on the outside and right. and, he, and he's done well. So uh, that's not to say that I'm trying or that's not to say that he is being pigeonholed exclusively to star nickel nickel defensive back he could very well be depth for the outside too but mm-hmm. um just be- again between his frame and also just the fact that he knows at least the you know coverage principles the you know ca- foundational cover coverage principles for this defense uh leads me to again i I'd pr- identify at least that role for him initially, again, depending on how things go and, and how this defense takes shape. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and we have to remember, too, that Kobe can play on the outside, too. So he's right. been playing the star, but when he is or if he is at some point on the outside, um, who comes in and plays the star? Now, whether it's an injury concern addition or simply wanting to add more competition there, this is a good signing to me um, because you do need that type of rotational plan. This is all a big math equation. It's situational and you're trying to create leverage advantages for your defense. And part of that is is uh, coverage flexibility with some of your players, such as Kobe Durant. If he can play inside and outside, you want him to have the freedom to be able to do that versus saying, no, you because we don't have depth at star, um, you're going to be having to play all of this all the time instead of being able to be uh, more flexible and rotate. And they don't have a ton of... Uh, coverage versatility with their true outside corners, not saying Trey Tomlinson couldn't do it because he probably could, but Akella Witherspoon is an outside corner. Um, Darion Kendrick is an outside corner. You saw in some of their roster cuts, which we will get to in a minute, they did not keep more than two players who can only play one position in their defensive backfield. All of their safeties, uh, probably minus Jordan Fuller, play multiple positions. Jordan Fuller is sort of like the number one safety back there in terms of locking down that high spot, right, and and playing from depth. And um, the other corners can play anything from star, which some of them are, like Russ Yeast is is training a little bit as depth there. Um, But then also Quentin Lake is playing safety, but also dime linebacker. John Johnson, safety and dime linebacker, like those types of things. So they 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 cut Robert Rochelle. They cut uh, Cam McCutcheon. You know, Cam, I thought, had a great camp, but they simply were not going to keep players who only did one thing outside of their top outside corners because it's just not smart to do that. You have to have in in the modern NFL, 
where there's so much um, multiplicity with what the receivers are doing, you also have to have corners who can can do multiple things as well. And um, to me, that was a, a big point of emphasis in their roster math. Um, Stu, outside of the DBs, I do want to get your impression. When you thought about these roster cuts this week, what was like one position that really stuck out to you? Um, and, and and what were your thoughts about that position? Got to be outside linebacker. I mean, it maybe it's just because I was looking at the initial 53 from last year as I'm preparing and kind of comparing notes and things like that. But when you look at who they had on the initial 53 last year and, and how that position group changed, obviously, as you and I both know, over the course of the season between uh, as far as just departures and things like that. And even into this offseason with those departures, I mean, that is a brand, brand new group for the most part. Yes, you have Michael Hoyt in there who, uh, you know, made that position switch from defensive tackle late in the season and, and did enough, obviously, that the coaching staff feels like he's going to he has some promise there or at least deserves to, you know, be able to dedicate himself to that position full time this offseason. And you've got three rookies, or at least you did have three rookies before Sean Mathis got moved to IR between Mathis, Byron Young, and Nick Hampton. And then you had Zach Van Valkenburg, who's mostly who spent most of last season on the practice squad and has some familiarity, but you know, doesn't necessarily have those a ton of those live game reps. And so it's a it's a group that not only has turned over, but doesn't have a ton of experience. And so that's the group that will probably be watched most closely, I would imagine, especially given I know what you wrote about this extensively and could probably shed more light on it when you talked about how that impacted the kind of coverage structures they Mm -hmm. were able to play because of what they, you know, weren't were weren't able to do with the or what they were doing, excuse me, with what they had to do with the pass rush to try to generate it. And so that that group still honestly sticks out because mm-hmm. again, not just for the turnover, but the fact that it's it's still a relatively young group and one that will I think be learning quite a bit throughout the season. Yeah, I the number one thing two the two words that come to my mind is youth and speed. And yeah. speed can be a great thing, but there also needs to be balance there. So like we have no visible proof yet because either we haven't seen enough of these guys playing actual football, like practices do not count. Um, we haven't seen enough of these guys playing actual football to know how they will be um, against the run. But like, I think about like week two against Kyle Shanahan and some of the multiplicity that they can do in the run game and how mushy those edges looked um, early in the preseason when we did see a little bit from just a very small amount of, of sample size uh, against defense in sealing those edges um, from, from this group. And it left a lot to be desired. Now, I think that the speed element and the pass rush is really interesting because these are all a little bit smaller in terms of length, but like, except for Van Valkenburg, who's like, I think is like their run defense guy, right? Like that's kind of what he seems like to me. Um, just like a power guy for sure. Um, but like the, the rest of those guys, especially their draft picks, it's like very speed and Oshan Mathis has like that prototypical outside linebacker frame, but he's hurt. So we don't really know what he can do yet. Um, Byron Young and Nick Hampton, um, are, are like smaller framed. I mean, Byron Young is like a pretty powerfully looks pretty powerfully built person, but like in terms of that, you don't have a Leonard Floyd, like looking terrifying across the line of scrimmage, you know? Um, but there's so much speed there. And I think that's really intriguing and interesting because you can, you can work with that, especially on passing downs. I, I worry about this entire front on rundowns and that's inclusive of course, to this interior defensive line, um, where, you know, Kobe Turner, I, you and I both can attest to this. Kobe Turner and Dejuan Johnson really, really had outstanding finishes to camp the last two weeks or so. They they showed potential already, but like the last two weeks or so, they, it seemed like both of them like really hit the gas pedal. Um, and and Kobe Turner, you can see him every day just spending like a ton of time with Aaron Donald. And it seems like they will be playing next to each other a lot. Um, but you also need Scott 
guys who can eat space. And that's where I think Bobby Brown needs to continue to take steps forward. He is certainly their biggest player on that front. Um, And so I could totally see a front that's, you know, Bobby Brown sort of in that nose that they play. And then Aaron Donald and Kobe Turner as the three techs, they had been working Kobe Turner a little bit at the nose. I am skeptical of that. Um, I just don't, I, I think he's better when he can really rush and use his hands and like, kind of do some of those nasty, gnarly things that um, he's learning from Aaron Donald and leverage and and force slides and matchups and all that stuff, um, which would actually give Bobby Brown more opportunity to, to use that power, that bowl stuff that he likes to do from the nose. Like this is sort of like, I don't make the plan, but like, what if that worked, you know? <laughs> and so I just think that, you know, I, but, but again, again, Everyone who's not named Aaron Donald, I worry about in terms of the run defense. They got pushed around. Even some guys who were going to be contributing for them, who played preseason snaps, um, they got pushed around on the ground. And that's a concern. That's not just, you can play gap and a half really well if you're technically sound. You don't have to be the biggest or strongest to play that well. But you absolutely cannot make mistakes if you're not the biggest or strongest and you're playing gap and a half. And if you are bigger and stronger, sometimes that masks a little bit of those mistakes that you might be able to get away with technically. So it's like they don't have both. So they're going to have to be really technically sound. Otherwise, we're just going to see some major, major issues. And then it won't even then it won't even matter it, what all the different things they're trying in the in the pass coverage and in their coverage structures and all the different ways that they're they're playing more aggressively, which, again, please go read the athletic dot com for an in-depth story about that. But like it won't matter because if teams can just run it all day against them, they will. I mean, in play callers, Kyle Shanahan, he goes, I'm going to run the ball until I don't effing have to like. Their other teams are going to do that against the, I mean, think about some of the the teams that they're playing. They're playing the Seahawks who ran the ball well last year. They're playing the 49ers who always run the ball well, Um, regardless of like, I saw some meme that they only rostered three offensive linemen, like whatever, they're still going to run the ball. Well, like they're, they're going to play the Eagles, you know, they're going to play. I mean, there's, there's teams coming up that, and the, the, the Bengals, like there's teams coming up that can run the ball and there that's a huge point of concern for me for for a lot of young players that are going to be in roles like that it's very much going to be trial by fire to mm-hmm. that point about some of the different teams that they're going to be facing here in just the first 6 or 7 weeks of the season and and some of the things they do with their run game if there's one side of the ball that i think is going to be most affected by youth to that point it's probably going to be the defense mm-hmm. and one where there's probably going to be at least maybe from a listener slash fan perspective the one that's probably going to require the most patience because it's going to take some time for these guys to figure it out um especially with like you said kind of the the number of rookies that are going to be immediate contributors, at least on defense or even in the rotation. And also just, again, the caliber of opponent here just to start the season. And so buckle up, I guess, is a, is a, is a, good, is a good way of putting it. But um, it, it's, it, it's going it's to be a learning process, just like it was throughout training camp and, and the preseason. Uh, and, and it's going to take time. I'm, I'm sure that's not what people want to hear, but and I know that McVeigh has said it, he doesn't want to use youth as a crutch, but that's just the reality of, of the situation and, and the reality of obviously what you and I, at least throughout training camp in the preseason, uh, saw, especially when it came to that defense. Yeah. And just guys to reiterate, like the way that the Rams have approached this, and I will say it, the Rams employ, like the the front office and the coach, like they're not using this word, but it's a partial rebuild And like the way that they are, the bargain that they struck was completely stripping down their defense and overhauling it and infusing it with youth and guys who are all going to grow together, essentially. Um, And they started doing it. uh, I don't think they felt like they would be taking such drastic measures at that at the time of last year's draft, but they started doing it with their defensive backs last year. Um, they, they loaded up on DBs and then this year it's the rest of the defense. Right. And, and so it's, it's like they are overhauling that side of the ball in part because that is, um, the side that I think was aging out. Um, but also it, it, it helped, you know, it helps them 
um, sort of take on all as much hurt, quote unquote, of the dead money as possible this year, all in one fell swoop, while also understanding that they truly believe that if they can have a top 10 offense, it will lift the defense. That's just the way that their structure is built. It's a complementary um, system where the defense does not exist by itself. It exists in complement to Sean McVay's offense. That is part of the reason why he wanted this defense. That's part of the reason why they've built the team the way that they have. And this is, this is what, it, you know, they basically, it was like the, the defense was the sort of the sacrificial lamb to make sure that they could also at the same time, continue to carry such contracts as Matthew Stafford and Cooper cup, which we can relitigate those at a different time, but that they could keep those contracts while also adding in, in a couple of spots, like their offensive line on the offensive side, but take on all the pain on the defensive side, understanding that in their minds, not my plan, but I do think that this is this part is sound. Um, a top 10 offense, if they could deploy a top top 10 or top eight offense, if they could deploy a top 10 or top 10, top eight offense, it will be a little bit of a buoyant element for a defense for that defense, especially if you have speed on that defense, especially if, if you're playing with more aggression, which again goes hand in hand with striking that bargain on offense. Like it, it, there's a lifting quality to that, right? Especially playing with a lead ever has a lifting quality to a defense, those types of things. You can, you can use more speed in your pass rush if you're playing with a lead on the other side of the ball, because the opponent is throwing the ball more, not running the ball more. So again, a lot of this is this is why Cooper Cup is like it's it's freaking huge, guys. If he's not out there, because a lot of the way that they've planned, at least to stay competitive this year, hinges on including their their build on the defensive side and their choices they made there, like schematically and personnel wise. It, it does depend on getting this offense back into fighting shape the way that it had traditionally been under Sean McVay. So I, I started going on my one of my little rants too that I try to avoid, but like once I hit a certain like cadence, I just start really going for it. So apologies for that. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's the point is like, you know, this, I, I worry about those elements. I think the Rams felt like it's a risk they're willing to take with some of that run defense stuff because, and again, this is pre Cooper cup, but like, because they felt they genuinely feel like they are going to be getting back to a much better operation on offense um, than they had before. And it, and it, it affects everything. It affects the type of, of scheme that they, of, 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 uh, of coverage concepts and structures. It affects the, you know, gravitating towards speed rushers, not being pressed to overpay for a veteran outside linebacker because they've pretty much made it clear. Like the guys who are available are outside their price range right now. Um, like I still maintain that they need to add some size in the interior defensive line, but maybe that's outside their price range as well. So, um, it's a fascinating conversation. It's always balancing a spreadsheet. It's never one entity existing in itself. Um, it's how the entire structure works together. Unless you're the kicking unit when in that case, it just seems like you just say, fuck it. Cause that's like how things feel right now. I know that's not how it is, but like Stu, I mean, they carry Tanner Brown, um, through the entirety of training camp, then he's in the wave of cuts and then they sign Brett Mayer on like a clear tryout period. I mean, what, what do fans make of, of all of this? Like the entire special teams unit, the good, the bad, the in-between, and even bringing like Sean w went out of his way to talk about bringing Troy reader back to the practice squad, which in my mind was a total special teams move. When it comes to the kicker position specifically, my guess is that Mayor's the one that they're going to carry for week one against Seattle because Sean did say that he was like, he, he said like he, he alluded to this move in the press conference, uh, you know, a couple we hours. We will after carry the, a kicker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like point blank <laughs> said like his press conference two hours after the initial 53 man roster had been announced that they will carry a kicker into Seattle. And so if, you know, if, if Tanner Brown, I mean, again, they both are signed to the practice squad, but it, I'm just guessing that if if Tanner was if Tanner was signed to the practice squad and you went through yeah, and, and you had the body of work of offseason program, 
training camp in the preseason, those three preseason games, and also the joint practices with the Raiders and Broncos. And I didn't like what you saw. If you bring another kicker, like he's probably not going to be the one that you're, that you're going to be carrying into that mm-hmm. game, or at least that's just, that's just a hunch. Just, kind of looking at it from my perspective yeah they tried they tried the rookie thing i think now they're trying the veteran thing even though he's had a shaky last year uh but you know they also i thought about this they also when they signed matt gay matt gay had just had like a a really shaky previous year it really just took a change of scenery now everyone's different i'm not assuming that this is going to work out mostly because Usually we have to get through four or five more kickers before they find the one that that sticks. If we're talking don't, about don't remind the me of 2020. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the 2020 <laughs> season, please. No. Oh, my gosh. What a what a roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, the, the Matt Gay example is, I, th- I think, a relevant one because, you know, you do see the, these examples throughout the league, not exclusive to the Rams, where, I mean, again, Justin Tucker, you know, not it does not fall into this category, obviously, but um, you know, there there have been other guys I think of, you know, I'm pretty sure you know, Daniel Carlson with the Raiders, um, even uh Young Ku with the the Falcons. Like it 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 didn't exactly go great, you know, their the first time around or with or with their first team, but that that second wind or second chance that they got, uh they they figure out a way they figured out, they put it together and, and made it work. And I know again, this is not there there's uh, there i believe there's been another team that it's it hasn't been just the cowboys that that mayor's been on yeah they wasn't he right. just uh in De- didn't we just see him in denver too i'm yeah, trying to w- remember he- i felt like I, we saw him there in denver yeah right yeah I, I know he was at least there for for part of training yeah. camp i can't remember if he got weighed by them before or after those joint practices um and with the rams but you know, if if it worked for you once before, like why not kick the tires on the veteran route and Hun. and try that? Um, I and I again for me personally, like I I can't speak to the specifics of like I I don't know what it went into if there was a conversation as far as like, well, do we just you know ride ride out the growing pains and and you know let Tanner Brown you know go through a full season and see what happens or do do we go the veteran route? But you know, kind of like you've talked about, I think you've talked about this, notice have talked about this with, you know, this, the idea of at least like a, a, a total rebuild, like Nick Bay's way too competitive of, of a coach to one, say those words and also just to even operate in that space. Yeah. And so if you're trying to, at least in that phase, be as competitive as possible and you don't feel like Again, trying to develop a rookie kicker gives you the best chance, and you've already done that experience once. The Maher, the mayor move makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's fair. I think all that's fair. Um, all right, well, Stu, buckle in because we're going to talk some O line. Oh boy! <laughs> also, I did, I did catch your pun. You're beating me. You said kick the tires, and I about kickers, and I, I appreciated oh. that. I yeah, it's honestly, um, it was unintentional, but I'll, I'll, I'll count it if you are pun intentional. Yep. Okay. Now we're oh, tied. Oh, hey. Okay. There we go. <laughs> now we're tied. I'm ma- okay. Making up for like not having any of the last episode. Or, and maybe I know. Like we were way too serious. Before. <laughs> we were way too serious the last episode. The stress of training camp was, was starting to get to us. But yeah. Okay. Let's talk offensive line. So um, for anyone who's catching up, um, first of all, go read theathletic.com and also go read the rams.com because Stu and I have both written about this over the last uh, couple of weeks. But um, I did talk with Joe Noteboom this last week and talked about what he's dealing with or what what he was dealing with, with which was a um, soft tissue injury, upper body. I described in my story the brace he was wearing because it was, to me, while um, y- if somebody doesn't want you to say the actual injury as a journalist, ethically, you are going to keep that off the record. But describing the brace is okay because I think that sort of points to um, what the type of of injury, uh, situation. He's dealing with a significant brace there. And like, I can understand soft tissue. Again, we're, we're looking at this with Cooper cup with the hamstring. It's like, you don't mess with that if you legitimately want someone to be playing for you. So we saw Joe Noteboom start again. We're only watching like stretching in individuals, but, uh, you know, did catch a, a small glimpse of Joe Noteboom at right guard, uh, which was to be expected. He also said 
to me that that's what he will be playing um, and practicing at. Sean McVay is still doing the thing where he's saying like, he's a really good tackle and guard for us, which I get like that also implies that if he doesn't work out at guard, maybe he's swinged up or maybe at that point closer to the trade deadline. Once he has tape out there, you start talking to other teams, those types of things. As of now though, he is a factor on this offensive line. And so the saga is sort of like reaching its conclusive points, I think at, at that point. So if, if you're looking at the, the possible week one, Starting offensive line, you're looking at Alaric Jackson at left tackle, Steve Avila at left guard, Coleman Shelton at center, and then you're looking at Joe Noteboom at right guard. You also have some really solid now, – now you have solid depth at guard with Tremaine Ankrum and Kevin Dotson, um, who, Stu, I know you talked about last week and uh, and wrote about last week. And you also have – or this week, actually, because you asked less about, about him this week. All the time it has no meaning. Um, yeah. Anyway, you have discussed this, um, yeah. <laughs> and and um, and then and then you've got um, you know you, you've got I think you've got some like pretty sound. You got Brian Allen at backup center, um, and you know n- some days I don't. I think sometimes maybe Brian Allen will not be on the forty six, depending on how their numbers shake out in terms of depth and who's playing well and health. Just because he doesn't also play guard, and you need position flexibility with your depth players on the game day roster. Um, but, but it's sort of, it started to take shape. There is a concern from me that the group that they expect to be starting has not played a lot of snaps together. And because Joe Noteboom was hurt, didn't play against the Raiders or the Broncos in those joint practices, that was super important. So that's a question mark for me. That's something that I do wonder if it changes their, their plan yet again. Um, once they head into Seattle, we won't know um, really until that day again, because we are not able to view the entire practice now. And that's by design because this is when the real, the real game planning starts and the real installation starts. But I do think it's a concern that you haven't gotten a ton of those reps with your entire starting front. And then also, um, you know, I think when you think about the draft pick and the excitement over uh, from, from everybody that was like very like went viral and all of that, when they picked Logan Bress at 104 last year, that's where you could probably be surprised, um, by that decision for them to waive him. But the counterpoint to that is when you started seeing him playing so late into the preseason, that's usually a tell over someone's status on the active roster. And then also you started seeing, um, Zach Thomas, who uh, did make the roster, um, you started seeing Zach take over when Rob Havenstein was out with the next stinger in Denver um, in those joint practices. Zach Thomas was the one, as I reported, who took over at right tackle um, and not Logan Bruss, who then was starting to play some swing tackle um, behind even, you know, War McClendon and, um, and certainly behind Zach Thomas. So that was a little bit like it was you know, and then, and then further, and I still, even at that point, because they had lower numbers at, at OL, I even then still had Logan making the, making the roster just because, you know, he's, he was a former third round pick um, and and teams haven't really seen him play. Like there, there's not really much tape on him and that's actually like legitimate. And so, um, and then, but then they trade for Kevin Dotson. Right. And so then you sort of, all of those things in confluence, um, move toward Logan Bruss being on the 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 bad end of that roster math, and as well as AJR Curie. And so, what's interesting about this too is, I think that for Logan, it's probably a best case scenario for him to clear and be on this practice squad because he gets a reset, right? He gets a reset. The Rams really hope now there's consistency, not just with. Um, what they're trying to do in terms of their philosophy along the offensive line, but also the coach. They really like Ryan Wendell and um, Mike Munchak was was consulting through through this summer as well. And having consistency and a good teacher at that O-line coach, I think could really help uh, Logan Bruss just reset and re- go back to tackle as they tried um, and get sort of like more low low stress reps in that regard, where you're not going against Aaron Donald in practice every day, um, where you're not relearning a new position because the Rams drafted you out of position because they were drafting for need because they let our Austin Corbett walk because they were too focused on Von Miller, who ended up signing with the bills. 
And then they signed two other players who aren't on the roster anymore. Anyway, we've litigated this entire thing. Yes. Yeah. Domino, <laughs> one domino after another. Dominoes. As, yes. As, the ripple as poorly, effect. Uh, as, as, as poorly illustrated by my uh, use of. Uh, yeah. Stu was like counting now. off his fingers as I was rattling off these like things just now. But but yeah, and, and I've written about this and 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 I Sue, I won't ask you to 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 fire off any hot takes about it or anything like that. But but it really is. I mean, the ripple effect of process and, and, and I, and I will say this, and I have said this is like a really, I think poor process of identification and development that also combined with the player himself, not hitting the learning curve he needed to, which also combined with, um, injuries, which also combined with position changes, which also combined with, into 2023, a differing and altered philosophy in not only how the Rams are going to rebuild out their offensive line. As you can see, Stu, we have talked about this for months at this point, you and I yeah. have, um, about adding size on that offensive line and what that means. And and then combined also with the fact that they're moving into this phase and you have to reset your process of how you and how you identify people and who you identify. Now that said, like it is never good to reach for a need, especially if that guy is going to be playing out of his natural position. Um, at the time they were very excited about this. And I think there's a really hard lesson and a tough lesson, at, but an important one to learn about understanding the ripple effects from certain decisions before you make errors from them. Now, Lesney said that this is too limited of a data point, and I disagree, frankly, because I think they have other data points that they can use within this conversation, including the contract extensions that they gave to Joe Noteboom, who they knew his injury history before they extended him, and Brian Allen, who they knew his injury history before they extended him. And also, um, the as I, I have reported, the sort of internal disagreement over the the depth the, the magnitude of the contract that they were prepared to give Von Miller versus refocusing some of that money on an in-house offensive lineman whose departure then creates a ripple effect that you're reeling from like years later. Now there's a lot of other things that happen in between that. It's injuries of a catastrophic nature, it's injuries to running backs, it's injuries to the quarterback. It's a lot of things all at once. But if you sift through all of that crap, right, you still have key and apparent data points about the process of not just talent identification, but also development and also multiple data points on um, the logistics of financial allocation to certain linemen. And, and really, it all comes down to the decision-making process itself and what that process is at its core, whether it's drafting certain linemen or whether it's paying certain linemen. And I do believe in stuff from what I've heard um, this last summer, I do believe they've revisited that process pretty in depth. I mean, you wouldn't see this significant philosophical shift if they hadn't. Um, but but that that's that has to be in every level, that these, these things have to be learned from similar to um, what we were talking about before it's like this is something to learn from and and to understand how the scenarios could potentially unfold in best case and now they're thinking because they lived it in worst case scenarios too rant over yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, i mean i think i'll i'll touch on at least logan specifically yeah. at, at at the end of the that chain, chain of dominoes yeah. i thought it was interesting that less said that Logan wanted to come back and, and be back on the practice squad because like he mentioned, I mean, it, it could have been really easy for him knowing the way that the last year played out and how things have gone for him to just be like, you know what? I just need to get a fresh start somewhere else and, and see if I can get this thing figured out and back on track. But ultimately he, he, uh, he, well, at least based on what Les said, he, he felt like it, at least for his his growth as a player and, and really getting back on that track, even if it meant being on the practice squad, it was being back here with this group, working with Ryan uh, Wendell, the offensive line mm -hmm. coach. Um, and so I, I don't think the 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 book has been written on him just yet. And at the very least, because of the depth they have now, 
it gives it gives them a little more patience and flexibility to really train and develop him. I think mm-hmm. again, it's a I, really I, good point. I, yeah, because yeah. I mean, again, ideally, it's you're like you mentioned because of the ripple effect of so many of those decisions. You're not in this position where you have to be. I mean, again, third round compensatory pick, but still highest draft pick. Like from from that class, you 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 don't want to be at a point where you know, the, somebody that you you still invest that highly in to be, you know, in that position, but at least you're going to have the time now. And it's, it's not going to be a situation, like you said, where it's like, you're going to be forced to maybe play him out of position. Initially, you can, you can still have him at right tackle because as much as Zach Thomas's performance affected Logan being on the 53, because this was something less than yeah. the knowledge. It's not mm-hmm. me making anything up. Um, you know, Zach, all like Zach being able to hold down that spot also buys you that, that spot behind Rob, I should say, Rob Avenstein buys you some time where you can kind of troubleshoot and figure out, okay, like how, how do we, how do we get Logan to where he can be? Uh, because again, this is also something less acknowledged, you know, he, he wasn't quite there yet, but you know, they're, they're obviously still committed to getting him to where he can be if they're bringing him back onto the practice squad and if he wants to be back. And so very long winded answer, but that's sort of the conclusion I've kind of, I've kind of come to and and drawn. I guess if you're Mm -hmm. maybe looking for kind of like we talked about earlier, a a silver lining to it, because I know I've seen like some of the, some of the comments and, and, and takes about, you know, about Logan and all that. And I just like, just, I, I would I would just emphasize like, yeah, it, it it sucks the way that, you know, things have started off for him, but don't give up on him just yet because there at least there's infrastructure there, there's depth there where now you're in a, at a point where you can be patient with him and you can get him to a point where you can at least, even if it's not this year, at some point, figure out what you have in him without just taking a total loss and being like, oh, well, we're not going to even bring it back. We're just going to let him walk. Yeah. First of all, never, never call anything you say long-winded because I am the queen of rambling, <laughs> ranting, crazy answer, crazy person answer. So like never, never even feel like you're even approaching that territory because you're doing great, Stu. This is, this is awesome. It's good dialogue. And you bring up a really good point that I want to reemphasize as we sort of close out here. Like, the Rams for a long time were in a team build where they were extremely top heavy with proven veteran talent. This is who they would trade for. This is who m- made the core of their roster around that talent, around those, those key premier spots, pass rusher, cornerback one, sometimes maybe two receivers, quarterback, um, pass rusher inclusive to having Aaron Donald. Um, and then a, a corner, like I mentioned, it, like Jalen Ramsey, around these players who are like plus four in terms of if you're looking at 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 all the things they can do and the baseline is zero, the average player is zero. They're all plus four, plus five players. Okay, well, if you have that much, that many extra traits that are benefiting you for the positive, they're now drafting complementary traits that you don't need perfect players again. And that's good because you don't have the draft picks for them. You have the draft picks for traits for complementary traits in the middle and later rounds. That was their team build. We've talked about this for years. It worked for them. They won a Super Bowl with it. However, when you are no longer in that place, like as they are now, when some of those guys age out, when some of them start to cost too much, when you need to improve your depth, um, then at that point, something shifts and you start don't to have those really, margins anymore. Exactly. The and plus you, five and plus four margins. Yeah. You're, you're maybe, yeah, you're kind of, those are shrinking a little bit. And especially with injuries last year, what they found was that they, what I, this is my opinion. And just, you know, I, I don't know that anyone would outright admit it in that building, but this is certainly an educated opinion. It's like they had, I think some trouble in t- at times developing players, not only because what they needed to focus on was maximizing the traits themselves that were complementary to the stars, right? And so when you're not developing the entirety of a player, you're you're not only identifying them for traits, certain traits, 
that are completely in tandem with the stars on your roster, then you're not fully, the player is not fully uh, developing to uh, the entirety of, of what they are, who they are, what they can be. Yeah, and a lot of a times that player. works. Yeah. And that a lot of times that works because then those players would leave and become comp picks because other teams needed those traits and then also could maybe give them a, a B or C other things to develop into. You've seen this. Um, and then those turn into comp picks, which is, gr- which was again, a part of the build because you need those comp picks to then replenish the, the traits specifically, not full players, but traits. And so then now they're in a different place. What I think the biggest lesson they learned from a totally catastrophic 2022 was that having good depth goes hand in hand with a better process of developing players. And Stu, it's exactly what you just said when you're talking about better depth along this offensive line means that a guy like Logan Bresk, we don't know what he'll turn into. I think that's a fair thing to say. Um, but having better depth everywhere at any, at any part of the roster, eventually like that, this is clearly how they're, they're trying to build from the ground up in certain parts now, but having better depth, more experienced depth, depth players who aren't just good, you know, who aren't just there to do two, two things really well, because the star is doing seven things really well. So to get to nine, you only need that seven plus the other two. Instead, now it's more of like, okay, everybody on in these roles, because so many people are starting from the ground up, especially on like right now on that defensive side, that helps develop your depth. That helps give even now players who are in those upper tier roles. Now there's more opportunities behind even that depth for younger players to develop. You see kind of how they've built their practice squad with certain guys like this, like, you know, you see uh, the the receivers minus Johnson that they kept um, Austin Trammell and Xavier Smith. Those are guys who they're really excited about, but they're, they're obviously, there's not necessarily a huge place for them right now, but they, they need time to develop. Xavier Smith could be a really exciting player. He needs time to develop. You're seeing it with um, Tanner Engel with the safeties that they've, this is always how they've done their safeties, by the way, like that's always how they've, They've had their safeties figured out. Um, you're seeing that with the lineman with the Logan Bruss, for example. So I think this is, again, I'm rambling now. This is a rambly way of saying like the the number one lesson to take, I think, is that better depth in the in the top two sort of strings or like the, the ones, the two deep, better depth there automatically improves your threes and fours because they have more time to develop into, you know, more full players instead of being thrown into impossible situations only in the event of emergency. So I think what that leads to is I think more balance and we'll see, we'll see if this works. We we will, we don't know. This is all theory right now, but I do think that, you know, you touched on a good point there because especially with these linemen where, you know, they had no depth last year when they did, they all got hurt and and we can't understate the injuries and how important uh, or significant those were to the entire thing. But once they ran out of their own depth, that was so clear how much worse every single day was, right? Like it just, it, everything compounded so quickly, especially the second they ran out of viable depth players. And so I think that's that's really interesting. You can kind of see even on the active roster, they're kind of maneuvering their tight ends position this way. They've always done their safeties this way. You can see with the way they've drafted corners in back-to-back years, they're starting to develop their corners this way. So I think that having better depth helps with other players development and also maybe leads to more balance. We'll see. Um, but you know, it's going to be kind of ugly going, I think at times, but you know, we'll see, right. We'll see how it turns out. That's the fun yeah. part. Who, who knows? I mean, they're on what plan We're all C, doomed. plan We're C all doomed. or D Why not or go E for right it? now. Who knows? <laughs> it may be, it may be plan. It may be plan H at some point. Uh, you never know. Cause like you said, I, I'm, I know they probably did not expect to be in the situation they're in with, again with with cooper cup right and and just the way some of those and also like you were talking about just the ripple effects and some of the ways that you know these other decisions have panned out but that is what the regular season is for yes and we're here for you guys you're not alone you certainly are not uh 
We're here to explain things. Again, please remember that it is not our decisions. These decisions are not ours. Uh, We are simply the vessels of communication about said decisions and the processes behind them. Um, We, uh, I I know I speak for both of us, Stu, when I say we love hearing you guys' feedback. Um, And you guys go check out Stu. Stu's always cranking out great work, whether it's features, analysis, news items over at therams.com and also follow them at Twitter on Twitter or whatever the hell it's called at Stu Jackson. And then on threads at Stu Jackson. And, and then also you guys know where to find me, um, for better or for worse. And I think that, um, you know, this is going to be, like I said, there's going to be some bumps in this year. Now things are, are real. The, the cutdowns have happened. Um, everyone's mind and, and eyes are turned toward week one in Seattle and so we're going to continue to be visiting with you guys and trying to explain different things. But um, in the meantime, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, stay caffeinated and hydrated. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.